Okay, sorry everybody. I know I said five o'clock. It's a little bit after five. I'm having some issues I ran into at work here. I thought I would be finished, but I had some things come up that I had to take care of. Um, I actually have Carlos slated to be a guest, but he is in the middle of playing um, his finals match in a TTS event. Um, they're getting wrapped up, so I would expect Carlo to join me here shortly. Uh, it might take a minute to get him connected, but all that said, um, obviously by the name of the show, we're discussing the Martells. Are they the kings of the meta? And if they are, why is that good? Because I do think to some extent they are meta kings. I do think that that is good, but we'll get into that. So Carlo and I are going to discuss some of the things that the Martells do, how you can do with them, what are some of the... What are and some his of the name is John I have no idea why that happened. I don't normally run the studio, but okay. Um, Carlo and I will be discussing it. Um, so let's, I'll just kind of take you into it. Um, with Martels, I think there's a little bit of, of issue that people are taking with the strength of some of their cards, with the strength of their units overall. I think every unit is very point efficient. I think they're all really, really strong. I think they have probably the best NCU suite in the game. Um, Elaria, starting with her, I think she's top three NCUs in the whole game, maybe even the best. Um, tokens are so important in this game. That's why you see Warcry being taken wherever it's available. Uh, you see Pycelle in nearly every single Lannister list. Generally, any way that a unit can generate tokens relatively easily, they're looked at and they're probably included. Um, tokens in a game with you know, no magic to debuff. Those are your buffs and debuffs. So being able to get access to those is huge. And Alaria is essentially a three-token swing because if you control the swords, of course, that's always important, um, she's able to remove a token and then dump two tokens at the same time, one on each unit that's in long range. Uh, she doesn't have to remove a token to do it. She doesn't have to have two targets in long range. So she's generally going to do something with a token whether it's just removing a token and maybe not placing them or just placing a token. Um, she's very, very strong. Later, as the game goes on, she gets even better. Um, I think a lot of times you're seeing weakened tokens because Martells like to play a long game. Um, she does need to control the crowns, but Peter Baelish is so popular anyway. I think he's a phenomenal NCU for the Martells, so you see Peter Baelish a lot. So some of that downside can be mitigated. Um, because of Peter Baelish, you can put Peter Baelish on the swords to control the swords for not only your strong cards, but you can also control the swords so that Ilaria can do what she wants to do. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm fighting a little bit of cold as well, so I'll have to be taking some drinks while I talk. The other NCU, I think it's difficult to talk about Martells without talking about Dorne's NCU, and I'm not talking about his commander, I'm talking about the Prince of Dorne, I think is what he's actually called. I'm talking about his four-point NCU. Um, it's the one that allows you to score victory points if Doran gets order tokens. He gets two zones each round to choose from, so without Peter Baelish, he can be really difficult to play around, and he can end up getting you a whopping six victory points. So in missions like Game of Thrones or 
like Clash of Kings or something like that, if you're able to hold an objective or two and then draw the game out to round 10 without letting your opponent beat you, you can essentially win on the back of Doran's tokens. Now, I think a lot of people have a problem with that. They don't like the design space. They think that he's a negative play experience. Personally, I haven't had major issues playing into Doran. Um, I've played him a few times. I lost one game to him. It was the first game that I played Doran. It was a Martel Mirror match. I had just started Martels. Um, I just jumped into a TTS tournament, made a Martel list very quickly. It wasn't the best list, but all that said, it was still a very close game. He had Doran. I didn't. I was able to slow him down to two tokens, but I didn't give enough respect to how long Martels are able to draw the game out. And it was a lesson learned, and I haven't lost to Doran in CU since then. Um, I'm going to go into that and give you some tips on how to deal with him. I just don't want to get into too much of the stuff without Carlo on here because I, I really like being able to bounce ideas. Um, so give me just one second. I'm going to go check with the other small council guys there suggesting some things really quick. I'm going to pause just for a second. Okay, I'm back. So, um, without further ado, let's kind of just break down some of their units. Um, I'll tell you which ones I think are the best, um, which ones I think are, you know, essentially maybe not necessarily auto-include, but I'll kind of, I don't want to tier them per se, because I think all of them are really good. But uh, we'll just talk about some of the units and some of the things to watch out for with those units when you're playing against Martels. So, starting off, we'll take the basic Spearman from the box. They have an attack profile of 774, hitting on a 4 plus, speed 5, defense 5, morale 6. They've got set for charge and tactical reposition. So this unit is a relative, um, they're, they're just relatively like a, a buff for your other troops. They're not going to be a frontline troop. You shouldn't see them being pushed forward and, and trying to tank you. They're, they're 5 plus, 6 plus. It's not terrible, but they're not going to be able to really be a hold-the-line type of troop. They're there for the tactical reposition for your other units. Uh, we've seen tactical reposition in the past, so we know one strength with tactical reposition is being able to take a shot with your archers and then use a tactical reposition at the start of your enemy's turn and pull your archers away so that they're not in range of enemy archers. So what I'm saying is you shift into 12 inches, then you use the spearmen to shift you back 3 inches. Even if they shift 2 inches, you're out of range from any counterfire. Additionally, they're going to help Flademen, they're going to help the Royal Guard, the Blackguard, any of those units get into a better position. Now, as far as set for charge goes, since it works in the front and the flank, it can be really difficult to pin this unit down. If it's later in the game and wounds have taken their toll, you've been fighting some of the frontline fighters and you're near the point of death, it can be super risky going into the Spearmen, dealing with the set for charge because there's a, there's a possibility that they can kill you. Um, and then don't forget that even if you charge them in the flank, they can set for charge, turn face to face you, so now you don't get a flank bonus and you're being attacked before you get to resolve your own attack. So even with something like Dire Wolves, I was playing Clash of Kings yesterday and he had the Sundering objective and it was very risky charging Shaggy Dog in. I had to do it uh, because the game no. demanded that it had to be done, but I had to do it. And I took two set for charges with Sundering, and I was able to survive both. There was a little bit of luck involved there. He got four hits both times. One time I only took one wound. The next time I took two. But with all of that said, it's a very risky thing. Be very careful about how you approach these. 
Um, we're going to get into it, but there's one thing in common with all of these units, one very key weakness that every single Martell unit has, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, next, moving on to the Sunspear Dervishes. Now, I think this unit is maybe the, one of the best on their roster. It's difficult to compete with Royal Guard, but the Sunspear Dervishes are super, super good. They're misleadingly difficult to kill, and they end up hitting pretty hard. Um, so their profile doesn't look phenomenal. They are speed six, which you'll notice that all of the Martell units are relatively fast. Uh, they have seven, six, four hitting on a four plus. They always have precision. If they attack you and you have not activated this round, you gain critical blow. That's a new ability that we haven't seen. It's kind of cool. It can end up being big because they're capable of popping a lot of sixes and doing a lot more damage than you would think from this unit. The key that makes the dervishes super strong is swift retreat and elusive escape. Not only is it strong, but I'll dare to say it's a little bit annoying. Um, so if your game plan is to try to deal with this unit strictly with melee attacks, I think you're kind of wasting your time and your effort. I, I think that by the time you're able to chase them down, even if you're something like a unit of Flademen or Lance Cavalry, I think by the time you're able to chase them down and kill them, it's going to take two or three rounds because when they retreat from you, they're likely to retreat to your side, out of your line of sight, and then you're not able to pivot and you become weakened. So you can get into this really nasty game of chasing one unit of dervishes by trying to kill them with melee. I strongly suggest that you don't try to deal with these guys strictly with melee. If you think you've got something going, you charge into them with blade men. Uh, more often than not, it's not going to go as well for you as you think. Now, if you have a card like Joffrey's, you will obey me and you've got ways to put panicked and vulnerable tokens on them, by all means, go for it. But without some really nasty attack where you really think you can either one-shot them or severely cripple them, you just don't want to charge into these guys. I don't suggest doing it. You're going to be chasing them for the whole game. Very strong and, again, misleadingly potent because uh, they kind of want you to charge them. And then into your flank, and when they countercharge, they're probably hitting you in the flank. So just be very aware of positioning, be aware of that and what can happen. These guys are nasty. I hate seeing them across, across the table from me. They're my least favorite Martell unit to do, deal with. I think they're very strong. Uh, the Sand Skirmishers, um, I think they're one of the better ranged units in the game. Um, I think people are going to unfairly constantly compare these guys to Ranger Hunters from Night's Watch. But in a lot of ways, I think the Sand Skirmishers are better. The Sand Skirmishers have a point better defense, which they sacrifice a point of morale for. But with four plus defense, it makes these guys quite a bit more resilient when it comes to things like hidden traps and when it comes to other archers and other ranged attacks, castle walls, um, anything generating automatic hits. They're in a much better spot than Ranger Hunters. The other thing, Ranger Hunters, in a way, are a trap. A lot of times, the worst thing that you can do in this game is engage an enemy with melee. Sometimes that's just not the strategy that you need to play to win. And I know that it seems kind of counterproductive because this is a war game, but a lot of times charging into melee is getting you into a lot of trouble. That's because of things like Final Strike, Counter Strikes, uh, stubborn tenacity, any number of things that punish you for being engaged. These guys, since they don't have the swift strike built in with their quick fire, it's not as tempting to charge them in. In a lot of ways, people are playing them better, whether it's by accident or not, 
and as a result, you're getting more mileage out of them. The other thing is they have the scout openings order, which I think is a very powerful order. We've had it in the game since 2021 because of Jorah. <coughs> I've liked Jorah when I ran Targaryens because of what he can do for ranged attacks. This is no different for, for the skirmishers. They can set up their own scout openings attack. So what ends up happening with uh, the skirmishers, why I really like them as a unit. I stick a spear lord in them. Uh, thank you, Van Van, for that point. Um, I stick a spear lord in them to take their profile from 754 to 875. Um, that gives them a lot of teeth with ranged attacks. Uh, so essentially, you've got to get them down to their very last rank before their efficiency drops to, you know, about what a normal archer is. So seven dice at, at second rank is what a normal longbow unit is bringing to the table. And these guys will have that even if they have one destroyed rank. The thing that I like about them is they're super fast. Uh, movement six, they have cunning ploy in the basic deck, which can give them a, a maneuver. And then they've got the tactics board for the swords or the horse essentially able to allow them to shoot twice around, guaranteed, if you play things properly. Now, if you take the maneuver on the tactic zone and do quick fire and then you get charged, you won't be able to take that second shot. But these guys need to be picking on flank edges and particularly trying to go for infantry units. So you will get into the flank, get out of their line of sight so that infantry the horse, and you take that free shot, they can charge you back without unless they have some kind of attack. And then you use the activation to shoot again. Two shots into the flank, one of them with scouts, a scout opening. Most infantry units are going to die from that. So these guys are really strong. They're very hard to deal with. They're difficult to pin down, and I think their order's great. Even if they're just standing there as a supporting role, you know, as a, a gatekeeper, kind of keeping you from coming into that zone, and they're giving the scout openings order to things like the spearmen, uh, suddenly, the Spearman with seven dice hitting on a four plus starts to become pretty deadly when they get rerolls and precision. Uh, phenomenal unit, great design. Again, just I think a lot of people are looking at them and being disappointed because they don't see the Ranger Hunter profile, but I think they're comparable to Ranger Hunters, and in a lot of situations, they're better. Ranger Hunters probably just throw out more dice as a rule, but don't sleep on the Skirmishers. I think they're a great unit. And then finally, we come to the Sunspear Royal Guard. This unit comes in the starter, uh, does, wait, it does not come in the starter box, but it has a box available where you're getting the Martells. These guys, in my opinion, they're the perfect unit. So I'm going to say that they're the best Martell unit that we have available right now, um, simply because I think they're just perfect. They're a perfect mix of defense and offense. So they're bringing martial training. They get the re-rolls and the vulnerable token. It's similar to the Sworn Brothers. They also have Shield Wall, which you see in various places across the game. But with Defense of 4 and a Morale of 5, uh, their Shield Wall makes them very, very, very survivable. Um, and then their profile is 774, hitting on 3+, and their Speed 5 as well, just like most of the things in the Army. So another very, very strong unit that's it's capable of doing offense and defense. And I think given the Martell deck as well, they do they do it better than anybody. Once you start to get some of those Martell cards out, uh, like the Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken for the negative two morale, if you're running Lady Nymeria and giving this unit Vicious, they're definitely capable of punching 
you know, well above that seven-point value. For a unit that also brings that much defense to the table, they're capable of doing a ton of damage. So these guys are definitely no slouch in combat, and they're hard to bring down. So that's some of the units. I'm not going to go into the new... I'm not going to go into the new Dune Vipers or the Starfall Knights or the Starfall Outriders or anything like that. Um, they're relatively new, and so we'll just kind of go with what's in the starter box because I don't think you'll be seeing too much of those, but maybe when Carlo comes on, we'll talk about it. So that said, let's move on to why I think Martells are kind of a dominant force in the meta. It's not just because they're winning a lot of games and their score has gone up on stats. Martells, if I'm playing against them, they, they put a lot of fear into my heart, no matter what I'm playing, because they're just so good at so many things. So I think, debatably, they have one of the best decks in the game. I think it's a you're looking at Night's Watch, Free Folk, and Martells, I would say, have the best decks. That's the top three. Then you're kind of following those up with Baratheons, and then the, the pieces crumble and fall, whatever they will. I think the Stark deck is good. A lot of people don't like it. Uh, the Targaryen deck can situationally be very good, but it's very card draw dependent, and the order in which you get your cards similar to Greyjoy's in that respect. But the Martell deck, I think, is pretty much useful no matter what. So in this tactics deck, the things that you want to watch out for when you're playing Martells, um, Unbound and Unbroken, we'll start with that one. This is your pretty standard unit may re-roll any dice for this test when they're performing a panic test. After they roll their dice, they get to see what they roll, then decide if they want to re-roll. If they control the swords, they automatically pass the test instead. So just that first line. Excuse me, sorry. My, my throat is so dry from all of the, from having a cold. Sorry about that. Um, so immediately right off the bat, you're looking at a very, very, very strong card. Just being able to automatically pass a unit, uh, pass a panic test, even with some conditions, is incredibly powerful. Uh, being able to re-roll dice for the panic test, eat panic test, my lord, even if you don't meet the conditions required, in this case, which is the source, it's still really strong. There's a lot of instances where you roll a six and a one and you needed an eight. So the odds are you can re-roll the one and you're very likely to pass the panic test because of this card. Um, then the next bit, this is where this card for me just kind of goes off the rails and I'm, I'm not the type to ever pick on Simon's design or say, Hey, what were you guys thinking? But for me, the second part of this card is just mind blowingly good to me. Um, target one enemy in long range of this unit and attach this card to them until they are targeted by the swords or until one of your friendly combat units is destroyed. While attached, that enemy suffers minus two to morale test rolls. That's all morale test rules. That's your war cry rules. Anything that would require you to pass a morale test or to make a morale test, they're going to suffer minus two. All panic tests are a morale test, so obviously it's also a minus two to panic test. This, to me, is insanely good. It's insanely good value because once you put this on a unit, you're essentially giving every single thing in the army vicious on that unit. If they shoot you with the skirmishers or if they're bringing storm characters, they're essentially taking vicious when they shoot that unit. But the thing is, it will stack with vicious because it's not vicious. So you can start making those panic tests at minus five, minus six with a corpse pile, and it gets really out of hand really fast. Incredibly strong card. 
Um, this is one you absolutely have to watch out for. If you have a card like Winners Coming or you have Davos Orders where you can block card play on a charge, if you even think that they might have this card, it's worth doing. If you're sending something like your Flayed Men in where you're expecting a big panic attack, <coughs> you will want to make sure that they can't play this card and it kind of double screws you. They're probably passing the panic test, and then additionally, they've just put a debuff on you. The cool thing about this card as a Martell player, though, is even if you pass the panic test, since you have the permission, the word may is there, you may reroll any panic test, you can play this card just to, just to get it out and on the enemy, which a lot of times I find myself doing when I've played Martells. When I'm playing something like Champions of the Stag, we all know I love Champions of the Stag. I absolutely hate that unit. Um, I want to get this card on them as soon as possible. So if the Champions of the Stag charge into me, even if I pass the morale test, I'm just going to play this card simply so that I can get that negative two debuff going on them so that I've got a chance to destroy their armor by chip damaging them and making them fail panic tests. This is the same for Night's Watch units, who pretty much have five morale across the board. This is something you could Drogo to kind of offset his Iron Resolve. Anything that's really nasty defensively and has a decent morale, you can put this card on them and it, it chips away at their armor. So, how do you play around this card? Again, you, you kind of, if you've got anything that blocks cards on the charge, charging into them, you want to play that. Um, I don't even recommend charging the Dervishes Again, unless you have an amazing card or a, that, that's going to give you a great charge, I wouldn't even bother charging them. But if you have Davos and you can block their Swift Retreat order, then it's probably worth doing. So winners coming, Davos order tokens, these things are going to be really nice when playing against that. I actually think Theon has some version of winners coming for Greyjoys, something to think about. Ruinous Vengeance is their next card. This is, <coughs> this is their on-death card but it goes on you and does bad things to you when their units die. So right off the top, once this card gets an order token for one of your friendly units being destroyed, every time their attack dice roll a one, they suffer one wound. That's reasonable. I mean, Martels dump out a bunch of tokens, so they're able to get weakened tokens on you fairly reliably. So this card is probably going to get some value on the ones. However, while this card has a token and this unit's opponent controls the sword, the crown, each time this unit is targeted by a tactic zone before resolving that zone's effect, they suffer one wound. So you can target them with the crown to make them suffer one wound before the panic test. You can target them with the letters by putting a panic, by putting a token on them. They would take a wound at that point if you control the crown. You can target them with the bag. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but you can target an enemy with the Wealth Zone if you want. The Wealth Zone says you may restore up to three, so you can target them, choose to heal them zero, and then just place a wound on them. So that's something to watch out for for this card. You would be surprised how many times a unit is alive with just one wound, and if that play presents itself, absolutely, it's a good play to take the backs just to finish that unit off. That's a very strong card. Uh, Sand Diplomacy, this one, it's I think it's hit and miss. It depends on what faction you're playing, who their NCUs are, and things like that. A lot of times I see this card not get played because it has the tendency to mess with what the Martell player wants to do as well. So 
it has the tendency to kind of get in the way of Doran NCU and Ilaria and things like that. So um, I normally see this card actually discarded. Um, rising Temperatures. In my opinion, this is the best card in their deck. There's not a lot that you can do about this, but when we get into some of the counterplay, uh, there are factions that do have ways of getting out of this card. But this card will absolutely cripple whatever unit it goes on. Round two can't be targeted by tactics cards. That's terrible right off the bat. Um, very punishing. Round three, minus one to hit. That's with ranged and melee. Or higher, they can't restore wounds. So typically what's going to happen is the Martell player is going to hold on to this card until the swords is covered up for that round. And they know that they're going first in the next round so they can take the swords. Generally, Martell players are running Peter Baelish. I think they should. It's, it's the smartest thing that they can do. They're going to pop Peter Baelish on the swords even if they don't want to attack, and then they'll resolve another zone. That way, you can't target your own unit with the swords to get rid of this card. So if it's round three <clears throat> and I'm going first in round four, I play this card on you. So for the entirety of round four, you're not able to restore any wounds. Um, it can be even better if this card comes up late game and you're closing out the game when you have the tempo. At this point, it, it starts to feel like there's just nothing that you can do about this card, and it's going to kind of crush any hopes that you have. Very powerful card, one of the best in the whole entire game. Um, Cunning Ploy, we've seen this card before. Uh, Tyrion, Euron has it. I think it's a really strong card. They need to control the swords to be able to place a vulnerable token off of this. But the important thing with this card is going to be the free retreat, maneuver, or march, getting the units in position. Um, strong card. Dune Tactics. This is a card that's going to really kind of mess you up when you're alpha charging them. Um, assuming that your unit doesn't have any destroyed ranks, you're going to have, the defender's going to have the same or more destroyed ranks than you, and you're going to have to roll your lowest attack die when you charge. It's very good at, at like, stifling a Flademan charge because they're not going to roll seven dice, they're going to roll four. Then additionally, if they control the crown, it's essentially a, a version of Baratheon Justice because you're going to become panicked and vulnerable. So if you haven't played Martells yet, some of these may not look like they're super strong, but I assure you once you get into the flow of the game and they start to come out, <coughs> they are, in fact, very, very powerful. They're better than they look on paper, and they can kind of create this feeling of helplessness which isn't what we want because the theme of this show is I think Martells are one of the best. We're removing Mance from the equation. Um, Mance is still by far the best thing that you can possibly take competitively in this game. Even with consideration to Doran's NCU, he's the best thing in the game. Now, moving Mance aside, I think Martells are the next best thing. A lot of that hinges around Harmon Euler, who... It's right there with Mance as how good of a commander he is. So what makes Harmon Euler so good is not just his suite of cards. He's got phenomenal attachment abilities. So Iron Resolve is always a really strong ability. It's going to add some of that, um, some of that morale defense to a unit. So it can be really hard to strip wounds from him with Panic Test because of Iron Resolve. Additionally, he has Supply Aid, which we've seen across the game, we know that it's a very powerful ability. So he brings both of those with his attachment, and then his cards are just pretty much all A to S tier, I think. Uh, so you start with Spiteful Truth. This is a tricky card 
when you're playing Martels and you pass a morale test at all, they're able to heal off of you passing morale. It doesn't seem like much, but it can get really annoying, and it's a very strong card in the right situation. If you've got something like the Martel Slademan that you think you're about to get rid of, or you, you're happy that you've gotten them down to their last rank so they're not swinging seven dice into you anymore, and then they do something like Crown Zap, a very high morale unit, that unit passes the morale test, and then they heal the Flademan three, and now you're kind of stuck in a spot. Um, it's very strong. Um, hypothetically, the best that it can do is heal is it two plus one for each destroyed rank. Sorry. Yeah, two plus one for each destroyed rank. So at best, it's going to heal eight wounds across the game. It's actually really, really strong. Uh, you look at something like Ramsey's, um, I think it's Cruel Methods, is able to restore four wounds to Flademan. This card can't restore four wounds to Flademan, but it can restore three, as I mentioned. But it can put an entire rank back on Royal Guard. They're already hard to shift as it is, and being able to just heal four because you passed a morale test onto those Royal Guard is going to make it all the more frustrating. Uh, his next card is Set for Charge. Set for charge is good. It, it got better into 2021 when they made it work in the flank. I think set for charge as a card, because you don't necessarily know that it's there, makes it infinitely more powerful. And the fact that you can play it on like your flayed men and your royal guard, it's very, very, very strong. You think that you're going to get a charge into the flank, and then they play this card on you. They turn around to face you. They attack you first. The royal guard could potentially pop their order for rerolls and vulnerable, maybe you die just for charging them. So, again, in my instance where I was playing Starks and I had Dire Wolves, I had Shaggy Dog and I had opportunities to charge. Normally, I'm putting Shaggy Dog in a flank, no questions asked, but when those units are unengaged, it's absolutely not. Uh, am I going to charge something like Flayed Men with a charged-up Battle Endurance with any possible chance that they have set for charge? It's just not even worth doing. Which brings us to the next card, Battle Endurance. Uh, I mentioned Rising Temps is one of the most powerful cards in the game. Battle Endurance is right there. If you're able to play a long game and draw this game out to five or six, it's hard to match what Battle Endurance does as far as buffing a unit with their melee attacks. Sorry, I don't want to keep coughing. I feel really rude. Sorry about this. I should not have scheduled the show today. I had a feeling I might be coughing, but um, Carlo said he'd be on, and I was going to let him talk a whole bunch, and he's in the middle of his game. So, uh, Battle Endurance, I think for the most part we know what it does. Um, it's incredibly powerful. Putting it on Flayed Men or something like the Royal Guard is good enough in its own right, but when you mix it with cards that allow you not to heal, when you mix it with unbowed, unbent, unbroken, debuffing your morale, suddenly flayed men, literally, whether they charge you or they're standing still, they can one-shot anything in the game because of this card. Round four and five, um, I mean, obviously once it's round five, they're getting critical blows and they're always re-rolling. Uh, once it's round six, yeah, nine, nine attack dice, re-roll, thundering, critical blows all the time. It's insane. If you're debuffed with your morale and Alaria's around to put panic tokens on you, yeah, you're, you're pretty toast. You're probably just going to die. 
I, I've seen it happen. Flayed men. Uh, I mean, I've played Martels and had it happen. I've had my flayed men as one of my only units left, but the conditions for my opponent winning mandated that he charge, and I've played set for charge against them with battle endurance in round six and done like 13 wounds to them when they charge me. It's absolutely insane. It's a crazy suite of cards. They work together so well with that Martell deck as well. So I think Harmon Euler is the most powerful commander that you're going to see. Um, he's, in my opinion, the best that Martells have to offer. After him, you start to get into like, well, now who's the best? Um, I think that given the new um, Dune Vipers, I know that I said that we won't be talking about them, but they do uh, provide a weakened token after they attack. Um, so that's something that Vargo can use to his advantage. You can kind of create an army with Vargo that generates even more weakened tokens. Uh, Martells are already capable of kind of dumping them on you with Alaria, but if you add Vargo and the Sand Skirmishers, or in the, excuse me, the Dune Vipers to the mix, it's going to be a lot of weakened tokens. Um, so I think Vargo's good if you play into a meta that has a lot of attachments, because if he's in the Dune Vipers, he's guaranteed to be able to kill an attachment. Um, that said, you might want to bring, like, you know, the Bastard's Girls to get the most out of his free attack at the start of the round card, or those Sand Skirmishers, as I mentioned before. I think they're a very powerful unit. The more shots that you can get with them, the better for you. Um, I think Roos also has a lot of play. Um, I've played games as Martells with Roos Commander and a unit of Blackguard. I bring Nymeria NCU to get, or excuse me, a unit of Royal Guard, not Blackguard. Roos and Royal Guard, I bring Nymeria to give the Royal Guard Vicious and potentially critical blows. And then once I get unbowed, unbent, unbroken out, Roos is forcing those initial panic tests at, at minus five. If you have the other unbowed, unbent, unbroken out, he can spread fear at a minus five as well. Um, if he spreads fear into flayed men, it could be a minus six D3 plus two wounds. It starts to get really, really crazy. And then Roos has all those cards to, um, well, not all those cards, Roos <laughs> Ruth has a card to heal Bolton units back up, and he additionally has ways to put out Panic and Vulnerable tokens, and then he has a little bit more control, which is, you know, the last thing Martells need, right, the ability to cancel cards. Um, cards and abilities at that. Um, so I think that none of the Martell commanders are terrible or bad in any way, shape, or form. Even Doran's five-point NCU commander version, he brings a potent attachment, very, very strong. Um, there's just not really anything Martells are doing poorly. Um, give me just a second. I'm going to try to get Carlo in here. Okay, so Mar Carlo should be joining us here briefly. He's finished up with his game, so I'm hoping I have him on so you don't just have to listen to me talk to myself. So... Um, there's not really, again, there's not a bad choice that you can make with those Martell commanders. They don't have any one that's really super weak. Um, I think Obra is also really strong. Bringing Sundering and Fueled by Slaughter is an incredibly good attachment, uh, attachment abilities. Uh, and then bringing Reckless Heroism as well. She's got a very deep threat range. Uh, initially, Obra was my go-to when I very first bought the Martells. I was turned on by her and the things that she brings. I think Fueled by Slaughter is an amazing ability in this game. 
Um, I think everybody who plays Fueled by Slaughter knows just how good it is. Um, and adding that to Martells when they don't have any healing out of their basic deck is always something really strong when you're plugging gaps that the faction lacks. Um, all of this said, <laughs> I strayed a little bit away from the focus of the show. I guess I'm, I'm focusing on why the Martells are so good. Now, why do I think it's good if the Martells are the best thing that the game has? Because I do think Martells can be played around. Now, this it's, it's, it's an interesting and tricky situation because what I think works against Martells is also maybe something that plays into what they want you to do. But I think overall, it's best if you give into that a little bit. So without any further ado, I'll just come out and say, I think one way of beating Martells, um, specifically given certain game modes, is to just absolutely full throttle, pedal to the metal, just go all into them. Um, they only have two dune tactics. They're only capable of thwarting your charge twice. Um, does it stink when they do it? Yes, it does. It's not very fun. It, it's not awesome. Can going all in and charging get you killed? Potentially, yes. But at the same time, I think the absolute worst thing that you can do when playing Martells is let them play their long game. Um, grab the game out, or drag the game out and let them do what they want to do. I think Carlo is in. Can you say something, Carlo? Uh, can you hear me now, Brett? Oh, there it is. Hey, I finally there we go. got a bounce. I get a bounce. Brett, Brett found the unmute button. Yeah, I'm so bad at tech. Everybody listening, I'm so sorry. I've basically been talking for like 37 minutes about how good Martells are, and the point of this show is supposed to be that Martells being the top of the meta is a good thing. So now I have you I, here. Yeah, I apologize for leaving you one man standing. Uh, I've just come from uh, a brain-meltingly long game uh, on TTS with Larks, which well overran. It was a brilliant game, but I think it's actually um, an interesting point because, uh, you know, you're talking about not allowing games to go long against Martell, pressuring them really hard at the start. And he was playing a very tricksy um, defensive Night's Watch list. And I think that if you just made that a tricksy Martell list, then I think he would absolutely wipe the floor with me. Those last rounds would be so, so impossibly difficult. Going to rounds five and six against Martell is going to be a real, real problem. Um, so, yeah, I think that that play style... Um, really will play into some people who like to um, make very technical movements and uh, do a lot of charge blocking, really clever use of palisades, something that uh, Locks has been doing for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I'm very nervous about Martels. I haven't had much chance to play against them yet. Uh, I played them uh, in a TTS tournament just last week for the first time. Uh, luckily for me, they weren't allowed to bring a lot of their best stuff because of uh, the negative ELO tournament side of it. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm nervous about what they'll do once they finally arrive in the UK. Uh, but excited at the same time because I do think that 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 they're a very different style of list to what's currently or previously been dominant. Did you want to dive in on that, Brett? 
Oh, uh, so <laughs> Brett, Brett seems to have lost his, his Wi-Fi. Um, so maybe I will monologue. I don't even know if anybody uh, listening. <laughs> um, bit of a bit of a fast entry into uh, today's small council for me. Um, yeah, so I think that Martels have risen very quickly off of the back of a very very strong deck, and uh, I'm probably rehashing loads of ground that uh, Brett's already covered. But to me, uh, they do have um, a lot of tricks that are very unique to the game so on the topic that like is the whole uh, discussion point here i think brett's trying to get across is is whether or not them being the the new you know top contender i wouldn't necessarily put them as the number one um like list build in the game at the moment i still think that, that belongs to mance in my opinion and um and uh so i think that them coming in to be a discussion point as real possible contenders for tournament winners for um for being you know up there in discussion of one of the best things that you can play um i think that it's refreshing that that is at the very least a very different play style and uh, a very different list look it's not high high activations um it's not necessarily um it's not necessarily going to out activate your opponent but it is in a lot of ways built on the same kind of principles which is that you will maneuver technically and block charges um, wherever possible and basically frustrate your opponent paralyze them with uh, inactivity if you keep blocking their single and individual push threat um, I think as I came in, Brett was just talking about how one of the best ways that you can work around that, um, one of the best mentalities you can have when playing into Martels and when playing into a faction that just looks to block and frustrate you is to offer loads of threats at the same time. That means if you can threaten multiple charges, if you can make many attacks in a round, then their limited resources to shut down one charge at round, one attack around with these really brilliant tactics cards, they um, they will run out of that resource. They they you will start to get more success the more output you can put against them. But that is quite a mentality shift for a lot of players, um, particularly you know those around the TTS scene who play um, who generally play very reserved. Um, they look to make one or two impactful plays each round rather than trying to like attack with every unit possible, trying to get everything engaged. Lots of their units are just kind of placeholders. They're just protecting other units' flanks um, and things like that. So I think that that is actually a real difficult change of pace for uh, a lot of um, the more uh, reserved slow players out there who are used to um, having getting to pick and choose their battles because in individual one-off battles that have been picked and chosen, um, most likely the Martels are going to have the best opportunities to pick and choose those. And, um, and then they will have the cards to shut them down. Their maneuverability is surprisingly good for an infantry-based force. Uh, of course, we now see uh, the introduction of the um, Starfall uh, Knights um, and the Starfall Outriders. 
I'm just uh, waiting on seeing if Brett can rejoin. Um, I'm not even sure if you guys can actually hear uh, my audio all that time. Brett seems to think that I should be on, but he's having trouble getting back on. So uh, apologies for all these difficulties. Brett is uh, about as bad with technology as uh, as, as uh, I pretend to be, shall we say, uh, when it comes to Tony Ground. So it's nothing new if you've ever listened to any of the stuff that I do. Um, I think that um, the discussion around Martels and particularly very high performing meta Martels at the moment has to focus on two particular purposes. Um, Commander-wise, generally speaking, Harman Ulla is considered to be um, really standout high performer. Um, both his battle endurance really synergizes incredibly well with the Martel playstyle of frustrate and take the game late. Um, so that that's a really really powerful card, and generally just incredibly good. You know, like Elden in um, Elden's a very high performer inside of uh, Baratheons as well. Um, putting that on Stagnites is very very dangerous. Um, so Harmonola's uh, battle endurance is very important. Set for charge is also a brilliant card. Particularly, we see it combined with uh, Flayed Men or other really powerful units um that possibly do do already have battle endurance on them meaning that you're scared to even initiate a combat against um against the martel player or they can do tricksy things like um where you thought you might be able to double charge something that was already activated when you make the first initial charge then you act to slide across meaning that you're no longer able to get a second unit into combat um all things like that can be uh, very very impactful not just on the actual game, but on the mindset of the the player who's trying to be aggressive, trying to attack into these Martels who are, you know, frustrating them at every turn. On top of that, we see um, we, we we see our last um, major impactful ability from Harmon Ulla being his supply aid. It allows him to be in a very uh, non-impactful unit um, or a very weak combat unit of the Martel Spearmen who are a brilliant, brilliant utility choice. Um, so um, I think that that allows him to give more utility to that unit to heal the other powerful impact units, impactful units while also supplying that ability to make a shift.
Apparently, I muted myself. How much of what I just said did you hear? Zero. <laughs> oh, wow. Everybody, I am so sorry. This is like my first time really hosting outside of the show with Luke. I dropped Wi-Fi. Carlo had a game. I am so sorry for this show. As I promised, we're not just going to sit and focus on Martell's being super good, which I think that they are. The focus of this show is that if Martell's lead the meta, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Now, as I mentioned before, you came in, Carlo. We're removing Mance from this equation because I think it's pretty well public knowledge. Everybody knows going into a tournament or going into any game or event, Mance clearly has the upper hand in any match. That's including if Martell's play. Now, Martell mm-hmm. can beat him with Dorn NCU, but it's game mode dependent still. Even in Game yeah. of Thrones, even if you've got Dorn NCU, the likelihood of being able to beat them by keeping them off of three objectives so that they can outscore you before Dorn matters is slim to none. So we remove Mance from that equation. We already know the state of Mance. I think Euler in particular, but Martell's overall are the next thing that's kind of the top of the meta. But I don't think that that's terrible because I don't think they're, as, they're nowhere near as bad as awful crossbows. I don't even think they're as bad as 1.6 starts. The big thing that makes Mark of the meta is if they're running Slademan, which seems to be a top choice for Martell, if they're running Slademan, they're most likely running seven activations, four combat units. If they're running five combat units with Slademan, that means four of them are five-point units that can probably be disposed of fairly easily, and you can maybe contain the flayed men and, and keep them from winning the game. So the low wound count gives me some encouragement as far as the Martells go. I know that the primary focus of the game is not tabling, but I think for the most part that's on the table when you're playing Martells because they don't have the wounds to sustain if you're just sending a furious assault at them. They're not really meant to sustain that. They only have two dune tactics. Rising Temps only starts to get super nasty around three and four rounds. Uh, Doran is meant to drag the game out to round six. So back to what I was saying with you, as counterproductive as it might seem, your opponent draws his three cards, the Martell player draws his three cards. Maybe he plays a Roynish Vengeance, uh, you know, so one of those cards is out. You, you, you can guess at what maybe the other card is, but I'm honestly of the opinion in this strategy to dealing with Martells Again, some people would would disagree, but I think you just bust them in the mouth as hard as you possibly can, as early as you can, and you don't let up. You floor it, and you don't let up. I I think that, um, yeah, I think that that is definitely a route that that players opposing Martels are going to have to think about. They're going to have to uh, think about the game as if if they're the the attacker. I mean... Every game against the Doran NCU who scores victory points late in the round, and even every game against Tom and Ulla with a late round battle endurance, um, every game against the Martell deck in its own right, that gains power towards rounds two, three, four, five onwards, you should effectively kind of like approach the game and the game mode as attacker defender. Um, and you know that you're, you're going to have to be the attacker. And that is a very powerful mindset for the Martell player to be in. And I do think that it's something that they do very, very well. They play the defender very, very well. 
Um, so yeah, I think that players are going to have to approach it like that. And, and if that means just going um, all out and like making as many wide combats as possible to use up all of those defensive resources that the Martels have, then that can be one of the best routes into it. Obviously, it's going to be incredibly matchup dependent, um, whether or not that's even really the best strategy for you. You, you can't always go all gas because that's how uh, that, that's how like a good Martel player with a lot of tricksy positioning will like really catch you out and leave you very stranded. That's where we'll start to see whether or not um, the new um, the new cavalry, the new um, the new Starfall knights, whether or not they is like a counter counter punching force rather than um, the more defensive flayed men who are just kind of like a very maneuverable block of infantry in a lot of ways, whether or not those Starfall Knights have a significant role as trying to catch people out as they try and play aggression against Martels. I do think that it's going to be really, really interesting to see what Martels shape up in the next few weeks. Um, in terms of their list, I'll really be looking forward to the results of LVO. It won't be the beat to end all to decide whether or not Martels are good, but it will be very interesting to see what bring what kind of rate of success they will have i do think that martels are going to be very very successful at lvo generally speaking they may or may not win the event but i think that they will have a, a strong performance and i think that that's just because a lot of people are excited to play them and a lot of other people haven't really had the chance to practice against them still might get caught out by some things so uh, i think that it will be a very good showing for them at lvo and and that's an interesting point that you make so um, by no means do I have this intention of coming into this and it, making it a dunk on free folk session. But the interesting thing with Martels is kind of across the community, I think there's excitement among almost everybody to play Martels. I think Martels are calling to a lot of people because they can do so many things. Uh, they have beautiful, absolutely beautiful models, absolutely beautiful. They have very cool mechanics and very cool units. So unlike Free Folk, where in the U.S. you've got very few very uh, like loyalist Free Folk players that are traveling and playing at events. There's not very many of them. So even when Mance dominates or if Free Folk are a dominant force, a lot of times the U.S. players don't necessarily have to give it a ton of thought because you're not going to show up to a U.S. event, even if Mance is the number one thing. You're not going to get probably more than 30% free folk at any given event. It, it's very, I was surprised that there were as many at Gen Con as there were. Um, how many of them were bandwagon? I'm not really sure. I know that um, the gentleman who came from Canada played free folk at Adapticon as well, and he played mag at that time. So I don't think he was any bandwagoner. And I'm not going to accuse anybody of being a bandwagoner, but showing up to an event and seeing a ton of Martels seems like it's something that's really likely to happen because they're such a popular faction. I think a lot of people just like the aesthetic and the play style, so they're buying into them. Um, at my local, the Martel starter boxes have flown off the shelf. They're sold out. So that's not something that you see too often. I think Martels appeal to everyone. So it is important to touch on this topic and kind of give people ideas on how to deal with them. I, I think that... Um... Another thing that is really drawing people to Martels right now is that, um, or 
you know, like some of like um, the fatigue, shall we say, with um, with uh, free folk. Um, not 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 to, you know, not just free folk. There are there is fatigue with other factions. I think there's a certain amount of fatigue with um, John Knight's Watch as well, um, and, uh, and and maybe even um, certain like Stannis Baratheon lists, um, which is that once people feel like the best list has been created, and it's been like really locked in and multiple people are playing almost identical variants of exactly the same list. They're using the same commander and the majority of the units are the same. What people, there is, there is, a, there is a loss of the excitement towards the game, at least for me. And I think a lot of people, a lot of what's exciting about the game is when there's unknowns, when there's new, really, really, kind of like unexplored spaces to go into. Now, Martels are obviously mostly still in that category. People have been playing them online and people have been playing them in the US quite a bit as well, like in their local stores. But we haven't yet seen them tested on a big, big tournament, on, 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 on a TTS event or a per, an in-person event that's like really of you know, international recognition. We haven't got people really focusing in on like, well, this is definitely the best list. And then throw in the question of the new releases that just got released with the Starfall Knights, the Starfall Outriders, and um, the June Vipers. And there's a lot of excitement about what, what is possible. What, what, is the, um, what list could I bring? Could I be the first person to create something new and great? Whereas when you're talking about lists that have been around since the day one practically of um of the season one update maybe even you know been largely unchanged since the whole patch of 2021 these lists have been around for you know coming on two years at this point like and they're relatively unchanged there's been lots of people making small minor tweaks here and there but eventually there's not much more that you can do to improve on that list. It's more just subtle personal style at that point. Whereas Martels, they're still exciting. They're still new. And I think that that really will drive a lot of people towards the faction. And I think that that is, um, it, it is great to see. It, 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 it's the best part about the game to be um, excited about the possibilities of the faction that you might play. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned excitement, and it's actually interesting because we had some other um, – were they intentionally put in there or was it accidental? But we've had some other things added into the game. I'm not going to focus on the Free Folk Hunters unit, but just talking about the Bog Devils, they piqued my curiosity and, and gave some thought to a list. But as you're mentioning new possibilities, I, I really think that Howland Reed, Commander – has play into Martell's, um, in particular with Bog Devils. Without the Bog Devils, I think there's still some play there. But with the Bog Devils, I think that Howland can do something to Martell's. Um, I think that, you know, as we transition into Doran, NCU being a big bad, I think one of the strongest things that you can take into a list that includes Doran, NCU, is the ability to get out of combat, get out of engagement. And the reason I say that is because on those rounds where you're presumably using your Peter Baelish, I think it's common knowledge that if you don't have Peter Baelish and you don't have Elena, it's table the Martells or Buck for the most part. Um, 
when you've got Peter Baelish, it's not – you can block Doran, but it can come at a price. So a lot of times you're leaving the swords open for the Martell player as you do your thing to shut Doran down. But if you can avoid those engagements, you can potentially take some of the value of the swords away from the Martell player. And I think that's a part of that's – that's a piece of the puzzle as it comes to solving that Euler uh, Doran NCU. And I was able to play Marky Mark yesterday, and it worked. It worked. Having three of my units with Swift Retreat, having a wolf that didn't have to be engaged, and then having Arya to get Howland out of combat if I had to, I, it was. It worked. It was nice. I uh, I didn't stay engaged with them, and consequently I was able to pick them apart with the Cranog trackers uh, when they were spotted by the uh, Bog Devils for the Mark target or it's scout openings, I guess. Um, I think that's one of the things that Martell players probably fear more than anything is being range attacked, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think um, they, they, they have a lot of ways to shut down charges. They have a lot of ways to shut down melee attacks. Um, and, um, and, 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 and they also have a lot of ways to block charges, frustrate aggressive movement, frustrate attacks. Um, and long range, particularly, but long range also has its, you know, its obvious liability. Long range shooting is one of their downfalls. They're, they're still quite reliant on their five point unit, or at least they're very happy to take their five point unit of Martel Spearman, but with a only, uh, you know, like a profile on that unit, which is susceptible to ranged attacks. This is, you know, we're not talking about Lannister Guardsmen here with their three plus, what, uh, seven plus, is it, I think? Um, yeah. Or, you know, even worse, Wardens with their three plus six plus, who are, you know, very, very resilient to that range damage. That's what they bring for five points. The Martel Spearmen, they bring tricksiness, but they are very, very weak to, uh, to a ranged attack. I think that'd be very interesting to as as the Martel matchups develop and uh, we start to see what really can and can't counter it. I think that the list might have some quite, you know, severe kind of like counters and then lists that it just like dominates people who really struggle. And a lot and a lot of that will be about whether or not you choose to take Baelish, whether or not you're completely at the mercy of the Doran NCU, um, who I think is a very, very powerful piece in applying pressure to your opponent, more so than the amount of victory points he actually inevitably does or doesn't score. I think that the mindset changed to your opponent, and I think that he might end up with a lot of heat, a lot of hate um, from opponents. But I think that, again, it's similar to, like, Melisandre issues or Othel NCU issues. It's not as much about the impact that they have on the game, the exact outcome that they cause. It's about the mentality and the, and the, and the difficult mind space that it puts your opponent into, which is that you feel that your opponent has the upper hand at all times. Um, you know, Melisandre and Othel, they feel like you feel like you're never safe. You feel like there's nothing that you can do to not get killed. And on the flip side to this, like Dora and NCU can force you to feel like there's nothing I can do to win in victory I'm going to have to table him. Um, and so that, that, that has a very, very powerful effect. I'll be super interested to see just how hard the, the shall we say, hard counters that develop around Martels are and whether or not there are many bad matchups for them, whether or not 
you know, Olena in Baratheons allows um, allows a similar style list, maybe with Elden running battle endurance with some champions of the stag and really just saying, well, you're not going to score more victory points than me with Doran. And I'm also going to be just as good as you in the late rounds. So, and, and I'm not that reliant on my heavy charges either. I'm very grinding. So I think that could be one of the most difficult matchups for them. And it'd be interesting to see if the Martells develop a different style list to take on that heavy armor Baratheon um, kind of um, Renly side list that is very healing based, very sustain based and has the ability to shut them down. Lannisters sort of fall into that category. They also have Intrigue and Subterfuge, which has a decent chance to at least delay the amount of points that Doran's going to have, kind of flip it back onto the Martell player, where the Martell player will have to like really aggressively go out there and try and get his tokens, because at any time, you're going to lose two activations, most likely, throughout the game. Um you lose your ability and lose two chances to get tokens. So if you then aren't scoring until the sixth round, it's really big question whether or not you got much value out of that. And I think that really what determines how happy people are with the, with the, with the, with the high competitive end of the, of the balance, the high competitive end of the meta is whether or not the best list in the game and there will nearly always be something which is the best. Um, it's whether or not there's anything that is a good counter to it. If there's any matchup where that list isn't favored, isn't the better better list, um, and that person you know doesn't have to play better than their opponent ever to get the win, if all they have to do is not play worse than their opponent, then that's very, very difficult um, for that to exist for a long time in the meta. And that's sort of like the fatigue that's set in with Free Folk as the very, very um, highly efficient Mance lists. It seems like they have no bad matchups. There's nothing out there at all which makes them like be the underdog in any game mode, in any game mode, in any matchup, in any faction. But I do think that the Martells probably will have at least a couple of game modes into certain factions where they're not the obvious kind of um, favorites playing into that game mode and so the players will still have to go out there and perform and overcome being the underdog in some games and that will make the tournament meta the competitive side of play for them much healthier i think um in the long term yeah and i think i tend to agree and and as you're talking about some of the hard counters and some of the ways to kind of deal with what they're doing i think there's I think there's more than just a couple. I actually think there's um, Queensmen lists or even Kingsmen lists with Axel in uh, Axel Commander. I quite like Axel Commander, um, but if you're running Melisandra, a couple of Lightbringers, and Axel in one of the what's called them the Men, um, and you're able to take that card, uh, I think it's um, Relore's Vengeance. It's something. It's something like that. The card where Axel takes three wounds if he fails, but if he passes, you take the same number of wounds he would have taken, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. reverse... It, it's like it's like an Uno reverse card. You reverse yeah. that intimidating presence onto the Martell Blademan, and you're able to panic... You're able to cause those panic tests on Axel kind of at will. So if you imagine uh, a Lightbringer shooting into the flank of Blademan, 
They're going to take some damage from that. They only have two unbowed, unbent, unbroken cards to auto-pass those panic tests. So eventually the Lightbringers are going to splash some of that panic damage. Martels, they don't have terrible morale, but they're not morale specialists. Per se, the the majority no, they're, of their they're stuff not is five six. across the board, right? They're generally six right. across the board, you know. So yeah, they they yep. of of the high high performing high morale lists out there that generally we see, you know, assuming we're talking about Mance's five up bubble, we're talking about Baratheons also running a lot of fives and sixes uh, with their relore units. We're talking about um, and then we're talking about Night's Watch running almost exclusively five across the board. Um, and still we see that panic is a very viable option against those. As soon as that five becomes a six, the odds actually become quite scary for the uh, Martel player. I think Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken will be a very key card for them, and it is very important that they have that. It gives them some defense against that morale damage, but they are at the mercy of the dice. They're at the mercy of very the panic-based lists, and yeah, that will be another very interesting matchup to see whether or not panic is a real route to tabling the Martels. I, I, I think it is, and I think I say that, you know, I've, I've tinkered around with the Stanisite Baratheons a little bit, but just from knowing what those lists are capable of doing, it's actually not a far cry for a Melis. If, if you have Kingsmen or Queensmen, whatever unit. If Axel is engaged with Slademen, top of the round, you take Melisandre to the swords. You force that panic yeah. test on Axel. If he's in Queensmen, he passes it on a four, very likely. Uh, and you reverse that four wounds onto the Slademen. Then you Mel bomb them. Then you shoot them with Lightbringers. I think the odds are better than not that they're dead. Um, if they it's have actually a super unbound, interesting um, interaction, which I, I, I've... I've never thought about myself. I'm not even sure of the answer. I'd have to read the card. If your opponent has intimidating presence and Axel has intimidating presence, do you count the plus one that you would have taken and then apply plus one that you are now giving back to them? No, because they don't take a panic test, right? They just take yeah, one. No, no, yeah, I've, I've yeah. convinced myself. Yeah. But yeah, you, what you're <laughs> describing there is well known to be like one of the most explosive plays in the game. It is, um, you know, it, it's such... It, it's not an easy, easy combo to set up, but like it's very much there at, at at the at the pinnacle of what Axel specifically is trying to achieve. But even Melisandre with the Lightbringers in the same list are, are generally they're, they're looking to make these swords plus additional test play, and Axel really throws in that bonus on top, which is you know the test that I take is actually wounds for you, and yep. I think that um, I think that that is something that everybody has to like have in the back of the mind whenever they play Axel specifically. But all Baratheon-style lists on the Stannis side, um, they, they, they have this explosive potential at all times. And all it will take, um, because the Martells, what they're trying to do a lot of the time um, is they're trying to build this beautiful, indefensible, in, insurmountable house of cards, which... Like everything's moving um, perfectly in sync with each other. You're using these these three inch shifts to like 
control the spacing and the distancing when things are trying to come into you. You have a lot of aggression to go and go and get them. But if they're too slow and too passive, then you're just going to build up power and like play for the late game and score points that way. Um, so I think that being able to offer this incredibly explosive potential, which suddenly blows a hole in, in, their, in their lovely set of like moving parts, which all work well <laughs> together, is, 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 is a real scary thing for them. Um, and, uh, and, and really could be one of the, one of the downfalls that uh, Martel players need to look out for. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, in, within the same faction and even within the same loyalty, uh, I think Davos NCU has a ton of play into what Martel's try to do. Because if you use a Davos on a, say, a Flayed Men charge with ours as the Fury in hand, um, they, you're, you've blocked separate charge, you've blocked Unbound, Unbent, Unbroken, and you've blocked Doom Tactics. So taking mm-hmm. a smack like that, they're not necessarily, like what I found, again, playing as and against Martel's, you're not planning to take that kind of a hit early game. Now, Euler can go ahead and supply aid and stitch back some of that damage that you've done, but again, the encouraging thing for me with Martel's is the number of wounds that they have on the board, and supply aid is not really just making wounds out of nowhere. You're taking wounds off of something to supply aid, and if you've you've got the ability to get to Euler Bunker, which is similar to the man's bunker, he's kind of hanging out in the back, right? Yeah. The, the answer is simple. You kill Euler. But in execution, it's really hard to do, right? But mm-hmm. if you can force him early in the game, earlier than he wants to, to start dipping into his supply aid, or better yet, if you smack into the Flademan with something that hard, and then you've got something for the Royal Guard, you can start to knock them down, knock their shield wall down. Now he's forced to choose, okay, well, am I healing the Royal Guard? Or am I letting these Flademan go? And it, it can it's not something that happens a lot because I think the Royal Guard Flademan combo is very good and it's hard to move, but if you can distribute those wounds across those two units, you're putting Euler in a spot where he can only supply aid to one of them, and once you break one of their big pieces, as you mentioned, you can kind of crumble that house of cards. I think Martels are absolutely most comfortable with not losing any units, right? And it's, it's something that can happen for them. They can play the game and lose nothing. Um, but if you're able to, again, go go with the full throttle and play into some of these big plays, you can really disrupt what they want to do. Um, and then I, I, set, I only set the show for 90 minutes, so we don't have a ton of time. I just want to touch on the Doran thing. I think Doran is considered kind of the big bad. People hate him. Obviously, we know that, that you can use Baelish to shut him down. If you're playing against Martell players, I strongly suggest that you go – Study his card. Study Doran's card and then use that in your battle plan to make sure that you're prepared for those rounds when you have to use Peter. So the easiest round is round two. If you go first in round two, one of the zones that he needs is the water garden. So it's relatively easy to kind of shut him off with a Baelish to think it's the crown that he needs, take the water garden then take another NCU to the Water Gardens. You've burnt up two of their probably four activations, and Doran's not scoring that round, but they're probably going to move to the Swords, so that's a round where you want to make sure that you're not engaged with them. Um, additionally, something that I, I was talking about um, on Discord today, 
um, the fact that you can actually use Doran NCU against the Martell player. Elaria, I think, is their most powerful NCU. I don't think it's Doran. I think it's Elaria. And if you've got Baelish, again, presuming that you do, in a very key round where you don't want Elaria to token dump you, you can take Peter Baelish and control the Water Garden. Elaria can't do what she wants to do because they won't control the swords no matter what to be able to dump the tokens onto you. I, I think that's big, and I think it's a play that a lot of people miss. I think I think I think that um, the whole mini game of uh, of Doran, uh, what what he will achieve, um, I think that it 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 will both be somewhat overthought. It will also be um, kind of like over focused on by um, by 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 a lot of players, particularly if they lose. Especially, you know, like obviously you can't deny that if you lost the game by one victory point and Doran scored two victory points, then you know. Without Doran, and that feels like you would have won. You always have to ask yourself, of course, so what could have Doran been instead? What other four-point value would he have brought? And this whole mini game between Doran and particularly between Doran and Baelish, and even just like the general effect that the Water Gardens has on the game and the way it forces people to activate units that they didn't want to have to, is going to be very interesting in how it plays out. Now, what's important in my mind is that the Martel player, generally speaking, if they've played a decent amount, if they've prepared for this event, if they've practiced a bit with their faction, with their list, they're almost definitely going to be experienced with Doran, understanding the, the value that he has, the pressure that he can put on, and when best to go and take those tokens, and when they should actually abandon that as a tactic because there are times where you can frustrate him enough that now he doesn't become worthwhile for the Martel player. What the big question is going to be is, are you, as the opponent, are you well-versed in what his rules are? Are you, do you have a good understanding of, of the best ways to block him? So that's unfortunately, like, if you don't have a regular Martel player, that you play against currently, if you don't currently get to practice against him, then if you're thinking about how you're going to play against Martel's in the future, unfortunately, that's just going to be homework that people have to do. That's going to be a whole set of understanding which people don't have. And I think that a lot of the... Um, a lot of the emphasis that we might get in discussions about him being overpowered in the future, like these are things that I just expect to come along, um, expect to start happening, especially if this list starts to win tournaments with any regularity. Um, I think that um, a lot of that is going to come from players who are frustrated by a lack of understanding of how he works and a lack of experience playing into him. So I think that all you can do in that in that regard is to go out there and learn as much about him as you can and practice against him as much as you can because there are ways to sort of exploit him. Baelish is, for most factions, the, the, the most go-to way. There are other people who shut him down or there are just ways to play the game such that if you apply pressure at the right time and you can force that Doran NCU to take zones that he didn't want to have to take to gain a token, then that can also be a disadvantage to the Martel player. So I think that 
he will be much of what the discussion comes to be, especially if Martels will start to dominate. But there are so many things going on with Martels. It's just difficult for players to keep that in mind while also trying to learn everything else about Martels. So I think that the ball in the early days is very much in the Martel players' court there because the Martel player will have far more experience as the Martel player than you will playing against Martels. So the more that you can level that playing field, the more experience you can get practicing various strategies and patterns into it, the better you're going to fare. And, uh, and, and, and as Martels become more and more common sight, once everybody's played them for a good amount of time, and everybody understands what the Martels bring to the table, we're very likely to see that that situation slowly, slowly improves. Yeah, and I tend to agree. And that's, you know, again, that's kind of circling back to the entire point of this episode. Uh, for the listeners, I'm sorry I failed with the dropped Wi-Fi and everything. The point of the episode is, yes, Martels are very strong right now, but they're also new. And if Martels are the strongest thing in the game, I think I'm okay with that because I think that there are enough counters to them, as we mentioned, in particular matches, particular game modes, that they can't just run away with the meta unchecked. I think that I honestly believe that you'll start to see less of Doran in DU as he's figured out and as people start to kind of use the Doran weapon against them. Um, one of the things you mentioned, some of the zones that Doran has to claim, it's requiring him to leave the swords open. Um, the Martel player is not going to much appreciate uh, taking long-range shots from, like, crossbows and things like this because they had to leave the swords open before they finally say, like, yeah, this is dumb. I I'm using Doran, and it, it got my uh, Royal Guard shredded because I got attacked, you know, two or three times by crossbows in a round. <laughs> 10 out of 10, don't recommend uh, leaving, you know, claiming a stupid zone and, and leaving Kevin and Braun to machine gun my Royal Guard and my Slatesmen down. Um, and those types of things do exist. It's, I, I think the best tool that you can bring in general to the fight against Martels is a long-range unit. Um, it would be at crossbows. Um, if you don't have access to long range, which I think everybody does except for free folk, I just if, if, if you're not comfortable with archers, I think you need to maybe learn them a little bit and add that to your toolbox as something that you can use against Martels. Because every single thing that Martels are super good at involves you charging them or being locked into them. They don't like being shot. <laughs> It, the, the only thing they have for that is Rising Temp. And, yeah, I mean, it's a super good card. There's not a whole lot that you can do about it, um, unless you have Selmy. <laughs> I think Selmy can make sure that Rising Temp never goes on the unit that he doesn't want it to go on. Because if Rising Temp happens when you activate, you can always put Selmy on the board before you activate a unit to make sure that you don't get Rising Temp played on you. I think that um, it would be very, very interesting to see what effect Martels have upon the other factions in the game, whether or not they, oh, those other factions start to adapt um, to what the Martels are bringing. And a lot of this discussion today has been about this Ulla, um, Ulla plus um, Doran um, NCU single list. Now, of course... We very much expect everybody to be playing these tournaments, these these high 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 end events that we're talking about his his efficiency in under two less format. 
what would be very interesting to me is what develops as the second list. What other style do the Martels bring? And how efficient is that at countering their own counters? How different is that to their first list? And, uh, and, and, and I'm, I think that all that exciting stuff is what I'm looking forward to over the next few months. Um, seeing what shapes up. Uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing what comes out of LVO uh, for myself. I think the first real big outing that we will see in the UK um, will be the always winter um, Scottish GT. Um, uh, that will be 60, 80 players something like that, uh, from across the UK. Um, and they'll, uh, I believe, be bringing uh, Martels. There'll be a number of people who bring them. Of course, they're not actually released in the UK. Unfortunate, big sad. But uh, I'll be looking forward to playing them at that event and seeing, seeing what they've got. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be exciting across the game. I think uh, yeah, I think I, I don't I don't ever want to tell people to kind of just suck it up. But I, I think you brought up the best point that a player can do is just ask for matches against Martel and whatever you're worried about facing, try to face that. Figure out how it ticks. And then once you figure out how a list works and what they want to do, then you can start deciding how to take it apart. And and at the very least, even if Martels are dominant, even if, you know, and I personally don't believe that in the immediate term they are going to be the dominant list. I still don't think that they're the very best list in the game. And I do think that they have some counters out there, which I think will make for interesting matchups in tournaments. If nothing else, they are very different to the current dominant force. Change is good. Change is new and exciting. So for the short term, I'm only excited for Martels and what they bring to the game. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think it is good. I think it's a good change of pace. Um, I think they offer, as you mentioned, things that are subtle and different from what we've seen before. And I think... Uh, I think there's counterplay, and I, I think it. I think it'll be figured out, and you know, hopefully, something happens with the Doran meta at some point for the people that just don't want to run Baelish. But you know, I think I think for now, probably just stick Baelish in one of your lists. Maybe you can deter the Martel player from even bringing their Doran list. Um, you never know, but. Um, I do think it's cool. I think it's interesting, and I, I'm happy to see them come out of the gate swinging. Um, it's been a long time since we saw that. I think the last release that really just came right out of the box, causing this much of a disruption, was Nightwatch, and that was way back in, like, 2019 that the Nightwatch starter came out, and they were immediately competitive. Greyjoys kind of tripped people up for a second, but they never really asserted real dominance. Um, and I think the same is true for Baratheons and Targaryens when they came out. It wasn't ever anything like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> I think it's cool. I'm, I'm happy with it. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, this didn't go as I envisioned it. And, again, I only scheduled it for 90 minutes. I'm surprised it hasn't hung us up, actually. But um, maybe another time we'll work it into an episode and we'll, we'll have you back on to chat, but I apologize for that. Well, I, I very much apologize to everybody for joining so late and, uh, thank you to anybody who stuck out while I sort of monologue sort of left dead air. I wasn't even <laughs> sure if uh, I was entirely online. Uh, I, I, it's hard without any feedback and, um, 
and yeah um so you know uh thanks to anybody that listened uh you know i'm always i'm always happy to be on the show and i'm always happy to talk about song uh i spend way too much time doing it uh, already every week uh but uh you know to discuss discuss with new people and new ideas uh, is always refreshing and and just like martels will be been uh, a really refreshing uh thought process uh I still haven't given my full thoughts to Martels yet. I still haven't had to play against them um, in person on the table. They haven't. They're still a very much unknown and exciting thing to me. So uh, I, I, I'm an envy of anybody who has them and gets to play with them. I know that you've been showing me some pictures of your painted stuff, Brett, and it looks phenomenal. The models look amazing. So yeah, I just can't wait for them to arrive over here in Europe, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm for that for that to. Uh, for them to have uh, the impact that I think that they will have, which is excitement and power and uh, impact on the meta, all hopefully in the right ways. So, uh, yeah, looking looking forward to it. Yeah, I think you should be. I, I actually, from uh, from knowing you for as long as I have, I I think they really lend themselves to your play style. Um, <laughs> I just I just know that you like to play like a slow, patient game. And I, I think you would prefer, you know, winning with brain power than dice power. I, I think you, I think you're going to really like them, actually. So I'll look forward to seeing what you come up with, and maybe you'll uh, develop some meta-breaking martels that's different from what you're seeing out and about right now. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll talk to you later, and thanks again. And sorry again to everyone for my shortcomings. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me on. Bye. See you, man.